Again, thank you, Pastor Eric, for allowing Priscilla and I to be here and to minister God's Word this morning. I love to teach and preach God's Word. We have a thing when we're sitting in a meeting, a staff meeting at the church, that we'll start talking about something with the sound equipment or talking about something with the app or something on the website or something with this or that. And Pastor Nathan will say, let's not get too nerdy. Don't talk about all those details. Don't get so nerdy with all this technology, right? We've all heard him say that, that have been in one of those meetings. And uh, I love the Word of God, for, so it's easy for me to get a little Bible-y. You know, so stay with me here this morning as we go through the Scripture and as we move on. Before I get started, though, I want to test you. I tried this on some of my family last night, and a couple of them just looked at me like a calf looking at a brand new gate. Uh, so this is, my, this is my I say, you say game. So I say something, you tell me the first thing that you think of that pops in your head that goes with it. It should make sense. For example, if I say finger licking good, you say Kentucky Fried Chicken, chicken. That, some of you were almost there. If I say have it your way, you say Burger King. Someone's sharp out there. Uh, see if I can hit this just right. If I say I'm loving it, you say McDonald's, easy one. Now, this one's a little hard for some people. Think outside the bun. Taco Bell. Some of, yeah, he's got, there's a Taco Bell guy right here. How, now, this one, I love this one. This is a little, for some of us, a little more mature. It's, it melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M&Ms. Yeah, I knew a guy that kept getting fired from the candy factory. He kept throwing the WWs away. Uh, how, about, how about this one? It keeps going and going and go- Energizer Bunny, <laughs> yes, uh, super easy. Just do it, Nike. And then the last one, the Good Hands people, Allstate. That is a long way for me to go to get us to think about hands this morning. The Good Hands. I want to read a couple of scriptures for you. We're going to be talking about sticks and stones in the hands of our God. Sticks and stones in the hands of our God. In John chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus says, I give them life eternal, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them, pull them, rip them out of my hand. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. The hand of God, the hand of God. Then the last one I'm going to read here, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10. Nehemiah says, now these are your people, and your, these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. This morning, I want to encourage all of you, to, you, to put your life and put yourself in the hand of God. We want, we need God's hand on our life. Amen? Bow your heads as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the service this morning. We pray, Lord, that you have been blessed, Lord, that you have been lifted up and glorified in our praise and in our songs and our worship. Lord, I pray this morning for your anointing upon the Word of God to continue. 
Lord, that you'll touch our hearts and draw us near to you. Open our our ears to hear. Open our eyes to see what is said in your word. Lord, that I not just speak my words, but I speak your message for your people. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to speak your word. I honor you this morning with all that I have, and I thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as Priscilla already uh, mentioned earlier, some of you know a little bit of Bible history. You know that at one time, Israel, they had become a great nation under King David and, and Solomon. and They had become a mighty kingdom, the nation of Israel. And the city of Jerusalem was beautiful. The beautiful city of Jerusalem sitting on those Israeli hillsides. And, and the temple they had built temple that Solomon had built, this gorgeous temple, elaborate with decoration and gold and silver and fine linens, a beautiful, beautiful city. But they begin to, the people of God begin to live in rebellion, and as Priscilla read, the Lord Jeremiah came, and he's known as the weeping prophet, by the way, for some of you Bible people out there. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he was called the weeping prophet because his message God was giving him was not good news. In fact, he literally would be weeping because he's saying, Israel, if we don't change, God is going to get us. He's going to change us because God loves us. And how many of you know, if you love your child, you're going to spank him if he keeps running in the road. If you love your child, you're going to put locks up there where he can't reach, where he can just run around the neighborhood. You're going to, you love your child. The scripture says that a parent who loves his child disciplines his child. Remember that. When people talk about the discipline of God, God's discipline is not to kill, it's to lift up. It's to direct and bring healing and restoration, not to destroy. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, kept telling him, said, judgment's coming. God is going to, God wants to correct us if we don't correct ourselves. Well, at one point, the voice of the Lord comes and says, You're gonna, the people are going to be taken captive. We refer to it as being taken captive. And literally, when King Nebuchadnezzar and his armies came into Israel, they took over the whole land. They destroyed the cities. They chose the finest, the best, and the brightest. And they took them back to Babylon to train them to serve them there. They took Daniel. We remember the stories of Daniel in the lion's den. You remember the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. These were some of the young men, the finest, the brightest, the best looking. The king Nebuchadnezzar said, I want to bring them back to Babylon and make them my slaves. The people that were left were beaten down to where they had no weapons, no homes, no defense, no source of income. They had nothing. And for 70 years, that's the way they lived. All the neighbors, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Palestinians, they they took advantage and exploited the children of God because they had them at a disadvantage. Imagine that. Seventy years later, one of the Hebrew children that was serving in what what was originally Babylon, remember during this 70 years, King Nebuchadnezzar died, passed away. His son came in. His son died. Uh, He was killed in a battle. The Medes and the Persians came in. And eventually we get to King Artaxerxes, a mighty king. Some of you sitting here, you watched the movie The 300, which was a movie about the Spartans and their battle against the Persian armies led by their king Xerxes, an evil king. And I remember in that movie he had piercings and chains and, and tattoos all over, and he was an evil, evil, evil Persian king. 
That's important to remember because you're going to see how he plays into this story. Seventy years later, Nehemiah is in the Persian Empire. He serves in the palace. King James says he was a cupbearer. But I want you to know something. He did more than just keep filling the king's cup. He did more than running down to the spring or the well and getting some water and bringing it up. But he had access to royalty. Nehemiah had access to the throne of God or to the throne of the king. Nehemiah had access to be in the presence of the mighty king of the empire. You and I as children of God, I don't know who you, who you are, where you come from, but I want you to know this morning, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ and call on him as your Lord, you are adopted as a son or a daughter of the king of the kings and the Lord of the lords. We have access to him. Scripture says, come boldly to the throne of God, that you might obtain mercy and grace in your time of need. I don't know about you, but I need that access for his grace and his mercy in my life. Nehemiah, the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is sitting there, and he hears that some of his brothers and sisters, or some of his brothers from Jerusalem are coming. And as they come, he wants to know. I want to know how, remember, they don't have their cell phones. They don't have Wi-Fi. You know, Nehemiah's not on there Facebooking, FaceTiming his buddies in Jerusalem. No, none of that. But he hears some travelers have come from Israel, and he wants to know what's going on there. I have three parts this morning to my message. The first part is Jeremiah's problem. Jeremiah's problem. I want you to know that when a child of God has a problem, it's God's problem. He's going to take care of it. When a child of God has a problem, it's God's problem. He's going to take care of it. Now, that's good to know because I know that there's probably one or two of you here that are dealing with some things. You're dealing with some problems of your own, possibly. We call them issues. <laughs> Everybody has, seems to have those issues, right? We all have to, things we've got to work through, things we've got to get past, things we need to move on and, and, and get out of our lives. Jeremiah, or Nehemiah, his problem was the condition of the city. We read here in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. Remember, Nehemiah is there. He hears about these men, and this is where we pick up. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit with me and some other men who had just arrived from Judah, from Israel. I asked them about the Jews who were there that had escaped from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, verse 3, things are not going well. Not going well at all for those that have left and gone back. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The King James says they are, are a reproach, a disgrace. Remember, they are in sad shape. They are disorganized. There's no unity. The King James says that the walls were torn down and the gates had been burned. The city was left a wreck. They had no leader, no president, no king, no prince. They were just ramshackle running around the wilderness trying to fend off literally the wolves and the enemies of Israel that were plundering them from day to day. They were a disgrace. It says they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah says in verse 4, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I wept for days I mourned. 
fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Catch the description of this problem. Great distress, reproach, disgrace. This was a big problem. Nehemiah, it broke his heart when he heard about his brethren and his nation being in this condition. You know, there's times we hear about a family member, a friend, and they're in a situation and our heart breaks for them. I pray that we have people here that have the compassion, that we have compassion for our brothers and sisters. That's why we think missions is so important. That's why we put a campus in Boise and Oroville and Caldwell and Nampa and why we're, we, we send money to the mission field because we have com- compassion for the lost. We want to see lives encouraged and built up and for them to experience the love and forgiveness and mercy of God. Nehemiah had that compassion for his people. He didn't know what to do, but he, he immediately began to pray the problem. Nehemiah was so moved that we read in chapter 2, starting in verse 11, that Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, and he's checking it out. Now, you know that this was a big deal to him because he didn't just get in his car and drive 30 minutes down the road. He did not get in his car and drive a couple hours down the road, but it was a multiple, several-day journey to go from where he was at the palace of King Artaxerxes all the way back to Jerusalem. But this cupbearer, who obviously had some pull, had some, had some influence. He gets a band together and they travel to Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, Jeremiah, or Nehemiah says, I arrived in Jerusalem, verse 12. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. Probably took them as bodyguards. Remember, this was a dangerous place to be. I mean, this was, a, I used to have to go down and spend the night in a truck on, near the docks in Oakland. And we had bullet holes in our trucks down there and everything, but they still told us that's where we had to park. I, but I, I get that impression when I read this story, okay? The old bullet holes flying by Nehemiah as he's riding his donkey. I don't know, you know, and people flashing gang signs. I don't know. I'm just making it up here. Verse 12, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals except for the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's wall, and over the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. He's going through. He's doing an inspection. He wants to see if the city is as bad off as he had heard. As he's going through, everything is exactly the way it had been reported to him. It says in verse 14, he then goes to the fountain gate, and he's going in to go to the king's pool, which was a very elaborate, beautiful place during the day. But he says here, and I want to read this to you, it says, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. It was such a mess that when he came into that area, his donkey couldn't make a path. Right now, I've been watching over the last couple years, I want to ride the mules down to the floor of the Grand Canyon. I'm putting a backpacking group together, and I'm hoping we're going to pack backpack to the floor of the Grand Canyon here in the next uh, 8 to 12 months. And and I watched those videos of the mules going down that Grand Canyon. And it's funny because these guys are wearing cameras on their hats or their, or their chest. And they're wearing the cameras. And you'll see, and they're coming up. And you can see the trail makes a bend. And that donkey, they'll ride right up there. And it's amazing, the, the guides even talk about how the donkeys love to walk on the edge. 
those mules. The mules love to walk on the edge. Sounds like a lug-headed, jug-headed mule, don't it? Walking on the edge. And it's so funny because you'll see these, you, you see the hands, they're holding the reins in the back of the head, the mule's horse, the mule's head, and they walk. Walk right up, and you're like, <laughs> and I'm like, I think I still want to ride a mule down there. <laughs> but this, his donkey couldn't even make its way through the city because the rubble was so bad. This was a big problem. It was overwhelming. You and I, we face things in our lives with our finances, with sickness, with medical bills, with, with people we work with, and at times it feels overwhelming. I'll never overcome this. I'll never take, be able to overcome my, my financial mess. I'll never be able to overcome my, my, my situation at work, my, whatever it is. Whatever, it may seem overwhelming, and it was to Nehemiah. My donkey couldn't get through the rubble. I don't know what you're trying to get through with your donkey, but God has the way for you. I don't know what mess you're trying to get up out of, but God has a way for you. Whatever you're getting, whatever you're trying to navigate, God is the answer. God is our answer for the problem we're facing. For the son or daughter of God, the problem is not the end. Too many people allow the problem to mark them in a way to scar them in a way that they're never able to move on. They may, they may kind of put it behind them and move on a little bit, but pretty soon, yeah, I remember that. I got the scar. I got the wound. There, it marks them. It identifies them. Do not allow the problems in your life to define who you are. Well, I used to be a drinker. Well, you're not a drinker anymore, thanks to the grace of God. Well, I used to be an addict. You're not an addict anymore, thanks to the power and the grace of God. Well, I, I couldn't even provide for my family. I was, I was a disgrace. Well, thanks to the power and the grace and the providence of God, you provide for your family and you're, you're living for the Lord today and loving your family like you should. Whatever the problem was, do not allow it to mark you and define you. That was the problem. Well, what was Nehemiah going to do about the problem? The second thing is he goes to prayer. Nehemiah's problem turned into Nehemiah's prayer. I want you to know you need to bathe everything. We use the expression bathe. When you bathe, how many of you know you got to wash behind your ears? How many of you know when you bathe, it doesn't do any good just to, I'm done. He needs a bath maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that will make him happy. But when we bathe, we we got to bathe, cover all, wash. From, we bathe our problems in prayer. Cover them in prayer. Lather it up with, with soap. You know, get axe if you have to. Whatever to get through that. Lather it in prayer. Cover it in prayer. I like Nehemiah because he reminds us if we read this, this text here in Acts, or Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2, the right order. First of all, Nehemiah goes to God. Too many times we go to the water fountain. Starbucks, our cell phone, the buddies at work while we're standing around. We take our problem to everybody else and everything else. But we need to take them to God first. Take it to God first. I am convinced that if we will take our issues to God first, that they won't get as big as they sometimes get. Take them to God first, and they won't get as big as they sometimes get. In fact, I'm convinced in my life through experience that if we will give it to God first and pray, He will give us favor 
with men and kings that will deliver us from the problem. He will give us favor. He will give his blessings, and he'll go before us and begin to work those things out. Wouldn't you love it if before you even got to the job, somebody was already there taking care of the things that need to be taken care of? You get there and you find out, wow, they've already got the doors unlocked. Excellent. You get, the lights are already on. The heat's on. Wow. What? You've already got the first order filled? What? You got, you got the whole morning's order filled? That's how the providence and favor of God works. The Holy Spirit goes before you, preparing and working, softening hearts and putting people in position to, to, to hear you and to work with you and to bless you. God, if you will go to Him first, He'll give you favor and give you the ear of people and kings. I'm convinced of that. We read Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1, verse 6. O Lord God of heaven, listen to this prayer. You can hear the pleading and the passion in his prayer. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, keeps his promises of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night, he says. Look down, Lord, and see me praying. Hear my prayer. Listen to my prayer. He says, I'm praying for your people, Israel. I confess that they have sinned. I have sinned. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands. Boy, you, this, I would think Nehemiah would go, well, Lord, I don't know. I've been here in Persia. I don't know what those people, I don't know what they've been doing over there. But, boy, you need to, I'm going to have to go over there, Lord, and just tell them what they're doing wrong and get them straightened out. Maybe our prayer might have sounded more like that. But Nehemiah's like, I have sinned. My brothers have sinned. My house has sinned. Lord, these are your people. Hear the pleading? He's, he's, he's not pointing the finger of accusation, but he's calling on a merciful and powerful God. Lord, we need you. We need your power. We need your healing. We need your mercy. He calls to God first. Then in Nehemiah chapter 2, he goes to the king. Go to God first. Then to the king. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5, he's standing before the king, and the king is looking at his cupbearer, and he says, Nehemiah, something, paraphrasing, you can read it there in chapter 2. He says, Nehemiah, something is on your heart. Something's going on. I haven't seen you look like this before. What, what is it you're thinking? Do you have something to say? Go ahead and say it. Nehemiah says, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah. Send me to Israel. Send me back there that I might rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Listen, before Noah built an ark, he heard and met with God. Before Moses delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, he met and visited with God. Before, Moses, or before Abraham ever became a great nation, he had many visits and spent time with God. Go to God. Spend time with Him. Bathe your problem in prayer, and He'll give you favor and the ear of men and kings. Go to God in prayer. Now, the third thing, God's provision. So important for us to remember that God provides not just, God doesn't care that you're just spiritual. God provides for the spiritual victories you need in your life. 
God provides for the spiritual victories you need in your life, but He also provides for the physical necessities of life. He cares about all of you, whether it's the spiritual victories or the physical necessities. He's concerned about those things. And we read this story and we think, okay, he has a problem. He prayed. God's going to take care of it. Yes, he is. But I want us to see the provision in the hand of God. So many times I think in our life we miss what God is doing for us. There are things that God is doing for you and in you that I think sometimes we walk in our busy, hectic world and don't even see. God's provision. The problem, the prayer, and the provision. God's blessings and promises are for you and I, His children. David once said in the book of Psalms, I was young and now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor His children his seed, begging for bread. David said, in all my long life, ultimately when it's said and done, God takes care of his people. God takes care of his people. Build up your faith and take confidence. Whatever mess you're trying to navigate, remember, God takes care of his people. Go to him first. God provides for the spiritual victory and the physical necessity. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7 and 9. I want you to listen to this. Nehemiah had been praying, he had been fasting, and he goes and he makes the, the petition or the prayer to King Artaxerxes. And remember, this is a heathen king. This is a tough, ornery guy that don't care anything about these lowly Jews. As far as he's concerned, they are a disgrace, they are a reproach. He don't care nothing about them. But listen to the favor of God. When he gets done talking to Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes says to him, he says, well, what can I do for you? What, what can I do for you? So Nehemiah says, chapter 2, verse 7, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province, instructing them to let me travel safely through all the territories, all the way to Judah. And please give me a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the forest, so that I can harvest and have all the timber, all the sticks, and gather up all that I need to build the temple, the walls. He didn't know it at the time, but we know from history, when Nehemiah gets back there, he's going to live there for 12 years. So you know what he adds? Not only do I need timbers for the temple, the walls of the, gate, or the, walls of the city and the gate, but I also need timbers for my own house. God cares about your physical necessities. We're to be spiritual-minded. We're to think spiritually. God cares about spiritual victories. But he cares about your physical necessity as well. Amen? So he gets done there. And then it says that also he left there. And not only did he have, not only did he have the blessing of the king and a letter. This letter was basically his authority to go anywhere he needed to go. You know, you and I as sons and daughters of the Most High, we have authority today. We have authority to pray in his name. We have authority to go before His throne and find mercy and grace. We have authority to go to Him. In the book of Acts, it talks about some men that, that saw the disciples casting out demons. They thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Literally, if you read the story, they thought it looked pretty neat. And they knew a demon-possessed man. They were called the seven sons of Sceva. Whether they were literally brothers or not, we don't know, but they're referred to in the book of Acts as the seven sons of Sceva. And they go and they, hey, we saw how, 
we saw how Peter and John did this. I think we can do this. They found a demon-possessed man, and they all gathered around him, and they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Peter and John preaches, we adjure you, we command you to come out of that man. And the Bible says that the demon spoke and said, Jesus we know, Peter and John we know, but who do you think you are? They didn't have the authority. They were not the children of God. And it says the demon came out and leapt upon them, and they ran for their lives, being scratched and the clothing ripped from their back. But I want you to know this morning, if you are a son or daughter of God, you have letters of authority. And they're signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You belong to Him. You have authority to pray for healing in your family. You have authority for your sons and daughters to, 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 to be saved and come to the Lord and to live for Him. You have authority to rebuke the enemy that would want to send addictions and, and sickness and disease into your family. You have authority in the name of Jesus. Nehemiah had these letters giving him authority to go wherever he wanted. And he had letters they could give to the manager of the king's forest. And he could get all the timber and all the lumber he needed to build. And then lastly, it says that the king says, by the way, I'm sending the captains, not one, captains, plural, of the guard and their cavalry to make sure no one messes with you. God cares about your spiritual victories, but he provides also for your physical necessities. The problem was great. The problem was overwhelming. The problem seemed insurmountable. But we have a God that's bigger than any problem. Whatever problem it is, we give it to Him. When the problem hits, we go to God. Not our cell phone. We go to God first. God will give us the victory. This King Artaxerxes, I think of him. And I think of the, I've read, I've read the history of the Persian Empire and, the, and their heathenism and their beliefs and the things they did. This was not the softest, nicest guy. But I think of Proverbs whenever I read a story like this. In Proverbs chapter 2, 21, verse 1, it talks about the heart of the king. And I imagine that King Artaxerxes, he had a hard heart. Listen to me. If you're sitting here and things in life have hardened your heart, I mean this for my heart. We experience things. We go through situations. People say things. People do things. Our heart can grow calloused and hard. God is in the business of softening hearts. That's one thing I pray is, Lord, I need a soft heart. I want to feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to feel the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grow cold and calloused and hard to where I'm insensitive to your people when they're hurting, insensitive to, to, to what you're wanting to do in my life. If you've been in that point, I want you to know that God is able to soften your heart. Give your, put yourself in the hand of God. Put yourself in the hand of God. Listen to what it says here uh, in, in Proverbs chapter 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of the water. In the King James, it says, like the bend of the river. Catch that speech. The King James says, like the bend of a river. It just seems to go random, right? But listen to what the Scripture says. It says, like the bend of the rivers. He turns the king's heart wherever he wishes. Artaxerxes didn't know it, 
but he was set up from the beginning. Before Nehemiah ever came in the doors of his throne room, God's Holy Spirit was already working on King Artaxerxes. King King Artaxerxes didn't know why he was in such a good mood that morning. He woke up, and he was usually grouchy and grumbly, but already the Holy Spirit had given him a good night's sleep. He didn't know it, but when he went down there to breakfast, by his not only was it his favorite breakfast, but everything was done just perfect. The king, the Lord was already preparing Artaxerxes. He got down, his coffee was just the way he wanted. He went down there, the birds were singing, the flowers were blooming. He, by the time he got to his palace, he was in such a great mood, he couldn't figure out why. He went in there, the temperature was just right. The, everything was the way he liked it. The music was on the right channel. He's sitting on his throne thinking, man, I am king. And in walks Artaxerxes, he's like, I feel so good. Hey, what's going on, uh, Nehemiah? What can I do for you? God will give you favor with men and kings if you go to him first. Go to him first. I'll tell you, that's a lot of additions. He, get, he gets a letter. He gets a letter to go anywhere, the authority to go anywhere he wants to go. In addition, he gets a letter to get all the timber and lumber and supplies he needs. In addition, he gets the captain of the guard and their cavalry. That's a lot of additions. He went to Jerusalem. By the time he got there, he had everything he needed to start rebuilding Jerusalem to way it would glorify God and to take the disgrace and the reproach off of Israel. Now, I wrap it up with this. The disgrace, the reproach, the shame. So many of us in our lives, we go through things and we still feel the pain. We still feel the memories. We feel the disappointments of past disgrace or shame. I may not know what mess you're in. I don't know what rubble in your past or what you're still trying to navigate through. But I know our God. I know our Lord. I know our Savior. He's a healer, a deliverer. John chapter 8, verse 35 says, Therefore, if the Son shall make thee free, you shall be free indeed. He is able to deliver you from the rubble of your past. He's able to lift you out of the mess that you put yourself in. Call on Him first. I may not know what you're dealing with, but I know what 1 John 1, 9 says. It says, but if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all wickedness. Say, man, I had a bad life. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know the things I've done, the things I've said. I do know my God. He's able to cleanse you from all wickedness. I know what Jeremiah 33, 3 says. Call on me, the Lord says. Call on me. You don't need a cell phone. You don't need Wi-Fi. Just lift your head and say, Lord, I'm calling on you right now. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call on me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That means he's got things, great and mighty things you can't even imagine. You're looking at a problem right now going, no way out of it. No way I can get out of this. No way I can fix this. There's no way this will ever be taken care of. Look at these bills. Look at this situation. Look at this heartache. Look at this disappointment. No way. Few days, few months, few, few, not just not longer. You look at it and go, Lord, I never saw this. I never, I couldn't imagine you could ever get me out of this. He will show you great and mighty things that you 
can't even imagine. That's my God. That's my God. Nehemiah says, now these are your servants. These are your servants, your people, God, whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. Your strong hand. There's nothing impossible for him. The last verse. As Nehemiah is walking out of the throne room, he's just been with King Artaxerxes. He's got his letters of authority, his letters for supplies. He's got the king's guards and the cavalry waiting to ride with him. And he's walking out of the door. And this is what he says. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. He says, the king, he granted these requests because the gracious good hand. (laughs) The gracious good hand of God was on me. I want the gracious good hand of God to be on you today. I want you to walk with God's hand upon you. His mighty hand, His good hand, His strong hand, the hand that says, I have saved thee and redeemed thee and nothing can snatch you out of my hand. As I get ready to end here, my prayer and my aim today is that everything we have, we allow the bulldozer of the Holy Spirit to remove the rubble. The bulldozer that is the blood of Christ that washes away every sin to clean us, to cleanse us, to help remove that rubble so you and whatever donkey you're riding with can get through it. Move on. Don't look at your husband that way. No. <laughs> I was just waiting for the first man or woman to look at their spouse. I was going to get them on that one. I was listening to Jeremiah, Dr. Jeremiah one time. He's preaching. He said something. He goes, don't you even move right now. He's talking to the men. He says something about the women. He goes, you men, don't even flinch right now. <laughs> Whatever it is, our God is good. Put yourself in his hands this morning. Can you give the Lord a big hand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.